All right. Well, David, this is the perfect time to talk about one of our favorite companies, Statsig. Yes. When we had VJ on ACQ2 earlier this year, they were already a pretty impressive kind of Series B stage startup with a killer team and early product market fit. But what's happened since and the scale that they're operating at now is pretty wild. This is where we get lucky in being very choosy with our sponsors. Sometimes these things happen to them while we're mid-flight. Yes. So I asked them for some fun stats. In the past month, Statsig shipped actual live product experiments to over 1.2 billion end users. Now, that stat is not deduplicated across apps, so there's some overlap. But I mean, even if you cut that in half to approximate actual flesh and blood human people out there, that's almost 10% of the world's population. Crazy. Okay, so that's one. Two, Statsig now processes about 130 billion events per day. So the infrastructure that Statsig now has to support these data volumes is pretty wild. And it's not like they just execute these events. They then take all the data from them, run huge statistical jobs across the whole corpus to compute the experiment results that their customers are running. It is just wild. It's funny, I hadn't thought to make this comparison until right now. So you said 1.7 million events a second. If you look at the visa numbers, I just pulled up my visa notes, Visa does 8,600 transactions per second. So that's, what, 200 times as much throughput at Statsig than at Visa? On the customer side, Statsig added arguably almost all of the most important AI companies in the world this year, including Microsoft, Atlassian, Anthropic, along, of course, with regular old companies like Notion and UiPath and Lattice and Brex and friends of the show Rec Room. The team also kept shipping super fast. At the start of the year, they had just one core product. Today, they're a full-fledged product understanding platform. They have dedicated feature flagging, warehouse native experimentation, and product analytics. Yep. So if your team wants the best platform in the world for making data-driven product decisions, you should reach out. Statsig.com slash acquired. And as always, there is special white glove onboarding for all acquired listeners. Our huge thanks to Statsig. Who got the truth? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Who got the truth now? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Sit me down. Say it straight. Another story on the way. Who got the truth? Welcome to episode six of Acquired, the podcast where we talk about technology acquisitions that actually went well. I'm Ben Gilbert. I'm David Rosenthal. And we are your hosts. Um, just a quick uh, administrative thing. If you like the show, we would love for you to rate us on iTunes. Um, been doing a lot of research on podcasts recently and kind of how, how the iTunes search algorithm works. And if you like it and you think other people would like it too, would love, love, love for you to leave a review. And likewise, as always, if you have feedback, hit us up on Twitter at acquired.fm or leave a comment on the website. Yes. So this week we are, uh, I'd say we're timely. We're probably a month late. We, uh, we were talking about the Disney acquisition of Lucasfilm and all of Lucasfilm's franchises. Ben, I am your father. <laughs> Wait, that wasn't in the script. Cut. <laughs> all right. Um, David, over to you first for acquisition history and facts. Oh, man. Lucasfilm. 
Star Wars. What more can you say? So, um, George Lucas, obviously, founded Lucasfilm, uh, 1971 in San Rafael, California, which uh, has personal significance for me and my family. That's where my wife is from, where my in-laws live. Um, and David, where did you watch Star Wars? And I was going to say, <laughs> episode seven, um, we went uh, we went over the holiday break to the theater in Corte Madera that uh, George Lucas himself uh, helped renovate uh, for the, I believe, for the prequels when they came out. It's a one-screen theater uh, in Marin, and uh, it was amazing. There's a great Vanity Fair article about this theater um, and uh, and the work that Lucas has done on it. Um, super fun. So, nineteen early seventies, uh, Lucas uh, Lucas founds Lucasfilm, uh, and the first project that the company does is American Graffiti, uh, which comes out in 1973. And then the next, uh, the next film that the company produces, 1977, is A New Hope. Well, well it was I guess Star it was Wars. called Star Wars at the time. <laughs> we know it as A New Hope. Uh, on this podcast, it's just called Star Wars, David. <sighs> All right, Ben. <laughs> um, and uh, and and then since then, over the years, I mean, pretty incredible what this company has uh, has produced both itself and what's come out of it i mean we've already this is our second episode about a lucasfilm company uh a disney acquisition yeah disney acquisition of a lucasfilm company <laughs> i was gonna try and catch you there on uh well david i think you mean because pixar was also acquired yeah. by disney but was also spun out of lucasfilm yeah well essentially i mean you could argue started at lucasfilm um the, the the company and the product itself, I believe, was started at Lucasfilm. Yeah, so I guess you know, I guess uh, they just took two shots at acquiring Lucasfilm. Yeah, piece exactly. By piece. <laughs> um, do you know what else came out of Lucasfilm? Mm. That is that is no longer part of the company. Industrial Light and Magic. That is yeah, yes, but that's part of the company. This came out of Industrial Light and Magic specifically. Mm, I have no idea. Photoshop. What Adobe? Not Adobe, Photoshop. Did Adobe acquire Photoshop? Adobe acquired Photoshop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, there's another episode coming. Yeah, too. I believe John. I believe John Knowles uh, was uh, an employee of ILM, and uh, one uh, summer, uh, I believe, as part of a movie project. Um, I didn't didn't read the full history online. Uh, needed this piece of software, so he wrote it, and then. Sold it to Adobe. Crazy. Yeah. Pretty incredible company. I think we know what's coming next for Disney. <laughs> <laughs> Among uh, so those great uh, organizations aside, other things that, that Lucasfilm uh, contains, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, ILM, obviously, uh, Skywalker Sound, uh, which is uh, film and TV sound production, Um quite large video game uh publishing and and development arm uh which now post acquisition has been mostly outsourced to EA by Disney um animation arm licensing um and uh and then the other company to come out of Lucasfilm was THX the sound uh consumer sound company named for George Lucas's first film in film school THX 1138 did not know that <laughs> so acquisition um in 2011, this is a great story, uh, Star Tours, which uh, I've done many, many times, most recently 
just a few weeks ago in December, um, uh, was being revamped at Disney World in uh, in Florida. And George Lucas flies out to come go to the premiere of the new version, the new revamped Star Tours ride. And uh, while he's there, he's talking with Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, and mentions to him that uh, he's thinking about retiring and maybe selling Lucasfilm. And um, and that was uh, that was summer, uh, I believe, of 2011. And uh, and then about a year later, a little over a year later, October 2012, Disney announces the acquisition, $4.1 billion. Ooh, pretty penny. And Lucas gives quotes in interviews saying he never dreamed of selling it to anyone else. Would have been pretty hard for him to sell it to anybody else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because I think the we'll get a little bit into Bob Iger, but I mean, the, there's fascinating history there. There's a 20-year-old relationship where... Um, Bob Iger was working at ABC and actually greenlit the uh, the television show Young Indiana Jones for George Lucas, which did not go so well. But he he uh, kind of stuck with him through at least the first season. And uh, uh, there's always goodwill between uh, between Lucas and, and the trust that he and he and Iger had that that uh, eventually kind of led them here. Yeah. Um, interestingly, though, and I didn't realize this till we started researching this episode. Um, Disney uh, obviously spends one point or four point one billion dollars to acquire Lucasfilm, um, and acquires a lot within that. All the properties we just mentioned, ILM and Skywalker Sound and whatnot, that hadn't been spun out. Um, but the distribution rights to the original Star Wars movies uh, were held by Fox and uh, still are. Uh, oh wow! So Disney was really making a big bet on the future with this acquisition. Yeah, because it's easy to to justify buying that existing cash cow. You know, there's there's pretty much no chance that uh, that yeah, those movies are ra- going to stop. Raise selling. your hand if, in anticipation of the Force Awakens, you purchased per- digital purchased <laughs> uh, the uh, the Star well, Wars collection. It was the my yeah, hands in the air, both of us. That well, I I went to watch it on iTunes, and the only way that I could do it was like some massive three pack collector's edition, really expensive digital download. I mean they. So, I sprung for the six pack on Amazon. Oh, nice! So, so that when I bought that f- through Apple on the Apple TV, is that through Fox? Mo- that money's going to Fox. Watching we watched four, five, and six again. Actually, that this isn't fully true. I had I watched the despecialized editions, but also per- I'm not going to get into that. That's a problem. <laughs> but yeah, that's crazy. So Fox was actually capitalized. Yeah, on so the Fox that opportunity. I I got to imagine Fox made a significant amount of money. In the lead up to The huh. Force Awakens. Huh. Uh, that doesn't include... Uh, that. Do you know if that includes merch from those original characters? Like if you're selling... If they're selling a episode for Han Solo toy. Yeah, that's a good question. I um, I think this is on the Wikipedia article about the acquisition, but... Um, David's giving me homework. Yeah, giving us all homework. <laughs> I believe I read in there that... Um, that at least for episode four, I think there's a special deal for episode four that Fox might be even getting those ancillary rights as well. Hmm. Hmm. Um, well, you want to keep going with the... Uh... Let's keep going. So, Ben, what's your category? Hmm. So... As a reminder, we've got people, technology, product, business line... And the all-powerful other. This, to me, is a product acquisition in the near term. 
but it's a lot more in the, the kind of far-reaching future. I mean, the way that Disney learned from Pixar and was able to produce in Disney Creative Studios, not in Pixar, Frozen, and put that at the center of the company and, and have that insane cats like 1.4 billion or something 1.3 so, somewhere in there insane cash cow and frozen you know disney learned from that acquisition without messing with pixar too much and that is a bob Iger thing i mean i think that yeah. when bob Iger took over from michael eisner as ceo he's largely returning to the company's roots and that there's this incredible diagram that shows disney's business model and their the the ecosystem thinking and how everything goes in everything we else. should link to this yeah, online should. and we, in twitter we it's put in the show notes awesome yeah and on twitter it's it's a it's amazing like uh, any any anybody who's ever been pitched a company and wondered ooh what's the lock in what are the network effects you know how how does this company build a moat around itself yeah. disney has this unbelievable ecosystem where everything flows into each other and the the center of the whole thing as as illustrated in this diagram is phenomenal content in feature length films and that's something that's escaped them for a, a long time. I mean, if you look at yep. if you look at Disney's revenues right now, one half are from cable subsidiaries, from affiliate money that they get when you know. You're, Which you're, probably ninety percent is ESPN. Yeah, fifty percent, like a little over fifty percent. Wow. Yeah, but you know, ESPN is is a quarter of Disney's revenue. And if you look every year, it's cord cutting, money's going away. Like that future was not sustainable, and it was drifting far from Disney's original roots. So putting incredible content and feature length films back at the center of the business model is a total change of direction for Disney, and and something that. Um, Bob Iger really kind of came in and shook everything up and, and, uh, and did. And he gave a lot of autonomy to all the individual groups. So, uh, you know, I, the way that Pixar was left alone, the way that Lucasfilm was left to do its thing, the, the incredible long-term thing, if they can pull it off, is sort of reverse acquiring the things that made that incredible content and letting them produce incredible content in-house. Because mm. right now they, they bought the Star Wars product, but they have not sustainably proven and of course this takes a lot of time that they can now take the muscle of what that made that content incredible and and make that something that is something they can produce on their own in the future yeah you're raising a couple interesting themes that i i've been noodling on about this um so one i would my my category so you said product uh you said product today and business line in the future or yeah i guess you know, I think it sticks with product, but yeah. I think it's that that sort of reverse infection thing, like the the Apple to next. Like can yep. can the 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 productiness, the productness that makes Disney and 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 uh or that makes Pixar and Lucasfilm what they are, and I guess you could throw Marvel in there yep. too. Like we might have to do a uh, complete the trilogy yeah, here at will. some point and do Marvel. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, yeah. interestingly, just almost about the same price that Disney paid for Marvel as they did for Lucasfilm. Yeah, we're gonna have to do an episode on that. So uh, at the end of the day, I think it's product uh, that they get this product, but the ultimate thing that will prove that this this uh, spree of acquisitions and this business strategy was successful is can Disney reacquire that muscle to build their own incredible content of all types henceforth? Yep, and you know, I think. Um, uh, I basically think the same thing. My my frame on it that I was going to say is is this is a product acquisition. But what the product is is the product is the juice that flows through the the Disney flywheel. Uh, and the, this diagram that Ben was talking about, Walt Disney illustrated it by hand. It's actually it's beautiful. There's 
Mickey's and Minnie's yeah, and turns Tinkerbell's. Turns out the man was a good illustrator. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, all throughout it, but it's this amazing, um, uh, just document of, of business strategy and, um, and, 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 and what it is is a flywheel. I've been thinking a lot about flywheels over the past few months, inspired by, um, inspired by the everything store reading the everything store and thinking about amazon and the amazon flywheel and and the the definition basically being you know how do you create this dynamic in a business where you've got different pieces of the business and if you push on one piece of the business it accelerates the whole system so like in amazon it's you know lower prices lead to more consumers which lead to more suppliers in the marketplace which uh um and leads to more leverage over those suppliers, uh, which enables you to charge lower prices, which gets you more consumers, which gets you more suppliers and more leverage and on and on and on and on for Disney. Um, you know, the, the actual diagram is quite complicated, but the nodes in their business are films and, uh, tent pole to use the media industry term going way back to my days as a media investment banker here. Um, uh, content and, and franchises at the center, and then the parks and the rides and television and music and merchandising uh, and um, and publications, you know, comic books uh, and, and everything flowing through that system. And so to me, Star Wars is like just a great um, uh, juice is probably the wrong word, but like a, a great car to put on that track. Yeah, I like that way of thinking about it, too. All right, next section. Uh, technology themes. Uh, what would have happened otherwise? Oh yeah, which we almost skipped, but I think could be interesting here. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure David and I totally agree. Um, what would have happened otherwise? So Lucas sat on this for I don't know how long. Uh, from uh, forty years. Yeah, but from not, he he started saying in '97. Um, no plans to make the sequel cr- trilogy. You know, I've made the original. Oh, set on Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, we haven't seen anything since since 1997. And he's been adamantly saying, I will never produce more Star Wars, blah, 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 blah. And he's also been saying. I'm glad he didn't. <laughs> Howard the Duck. Uh, and not only that, saying that he wouldn't, but saying that uh, he wouldn't license it to anyone else either. And, you know, I, I think that maybe that's just like that'll wear out over time and this thing has too much value not to go back and remilk and they would have sold it to somebody else but i think the circumstances were unique that this is exactly the sort of thing that disney was was um, acquiring as part of its new strategy going forward that there was a relationship and trust there from from lucasfilm not only with um the relationship with Iger, but also you know that um you know they they watched uh, uh lucas watched jobs take pixar from him <clears throat> be extremely product focused about it and very hands-on and very um, intentional to keep that thing separate and then watch the fact that Disney was able to shelter it. And when Disney was able to keep that thing separate and nurture what made it special. And, you know, I don't, I get the sense that Lucas doesn't have that trust lightly, that this wouldn't have been sold to someone that he didn't feel would, would, you know, keep it in that sort of form. So this was inevitable. Well... I don't think it would have been Disney or no one, but I'm, it's hard to imagine this falling into place with a company other than Disney. Could you imagine uh, Fox owning Star Wars? Well, the, well, I mean, what if? I mean, this is that's just as crazy as five years ago saying, "Can you imagine Disney owning Star Wars?" Yeah, but but I mean, like there was Disney and Lucasfilm have always had a tight relationship. I yeah. mean, there's the Star Tours ride, there's the Indiana Jones rides, you know. Um, 
Well, is it possible that um, Lucasfilm would just not have produced more films, that George Lucas would have retired, it would have made boatloads of money off the mm, merch off forever? ILM. Yeah, yeah, and like it's just not a company that produced films anymore. It was a defunct... Film yeah, it's interesting, right? And that kind of gets to... Um, if you think about acquisitions as a form of investing, which they should be, um, it's just one that you know, most companies tend to be pretty bad at. Um, you know, the, at the core of investing is about identifying. It's about identifying mispriced assets. And so, if you if you're Disney, Bob Iger, and Disney's famed technology and and strategy group and M and A group, um, and you're looking at Lucasfilm. And the worth of Lucasfilm sitting there as an independent entity was X, call it $4.1 billion. But was that mispriced relative to the opportunity uh, that Lucasfilm had? I think, you know, if, if The Force Awakens is any indication uh, uh, and, uh, and um, you know, he, I, I think that the not-so-secret secret in... Uh, that I am just like beyond excited about is, you know, we're not going to have to wait too long to see star Wars land and, <laughs> and uh, all the spinoff movies that they've already announced and everything coming down the pipe. I don't know. I mean, Oh, this is the part where I'm going to say there's a spoiler alert. So here's a couple seconds. If you'd like to turn the podcast off, if Disney didn't acquire Lucasfilm and no one did, and it laid dormant, then we would have Han Solo forever and Han Solo wouldn't be dead. <laughs> 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 I'm so sad. Well, you know, the um, I, I saw in doing research for this, uh, I, I think the second Star Wars spinoff movie that Disney's going to make is a, a Han Solo chronicle. Yeah, the first being Rogue One and the second being the first of the uh, Chronicles following Han Solo. Man. So that's, that's kind of amazing. I mean, we, we, we've got five films queued up before 2020. I mean, let's let's review the finances so far from The Force Awakens. So, already, it's made one point seven eight billion on. That's incredible. Yeah, recording this on January fourteenth. Um, that's including domestic and international, not including any less than one month. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> box office receipts on a two hundred million dollar budget. Now, if you look at the prequels as a whole remember that's amazing well yeah it's the most incredible film you know as a business ever created on, yeah. on every metric yeah. literally every metric so you know 4.1 billion that's that's the number not to, to mention at some point as as i alluded to earlier uh jenny and my wife and i went to disney world over new year's which was amazing and the number of lightsaber kylo ren lightsabers with uh with cross guards and having a crossbow it's a cross guard is so stupid you're just gonna cut yourself it doesn't bode well when they're hot lasers what well, it, it comes uh it, it's useful in the one of the battle scenes uh i think it does more harm it's like uh, we, can, we'll, we can have a whole different podcast about this <laughs> that could be our next podcast all right so vote in the comments if you want to hear it <laughs> So we're trying to get to 4.1 billion, right? We're already 1.78 of the way there, minus the 200 they spent on it. I mean, it, it, it's not quite like that, but if you want to pencil it out, if if you compare that to all of the the, the prequels, the first one, uh, which it's it's hard even speaking of these when really they don't exist, but the the um, uh, first prequel made a billion dollars, the second 848 million, the second 649 billion. So total, 
the prequel trilogy made 2.5 billion on on um theater tickets and like I, we could see that alone from the force awakens easily i think like, before we get any distribution outside of theaters and so we're already looking at that um the economist quotes that uh they they imagine that um 5 billion in star wars licensed products will be sold in 2016 and I don't, you know, judging by your experience at Disney World and and um, the the Star Wars toasters and uh, like everything we're seeing everywhere, you know, Disney has the most incredible licensing team in the world. Yeah, and uh, they're taking full advantage of Star Wars. It is, it is. Um, they they got an Instagram bargain on their hands. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe not quite Instagram. We want to thank our longtime friend of the show, Vanta, the leading trust management platform. Vanta, of course, automates your security reviews and compliance efforts. So frameworks like SOC 2, ISO 27001, GDPR, and HIPAA compliance and monitoring. Vanta takes care of these otherwise incredibly time and resource draining efforts for your organization and makes them fast and simple. Yep, Vanta is the perfect example of the quote that we talk about all the time here on Acquired. Jeff Bezos, his idea that a company should only focus on what actually makes your beer taste better, i.e. spend your time and resources only on what's actually going to move the needle for your product and your customers and outsource everything else that doesn't. Every company needs compliance and trust with their vendors and customers. It plays a major role in enabling revenue because customers and partners demand it, but yet it adds zero flavor to your actual product. Vanta takes care of all of it for you. No more spreadsheets, no fragmented tools, no manual reviews to cobble together your security and compliance requirements. It is one single software pane of glass that connects to all of your services via APIs and eliminates countless hours of work for your organization. There are now AI capabilities to make this even more powerful, and they even integrate with over 300 external tools. Plus, they let customers build private integrations with their internal systems. And perhaps most importantly, your security reviews are now real-time instead of static, so you can monitor and share with your customers and partners to give them added confidence. So whether you're a startup or a large enterprise and your company is ready to automate compliance and streamline security reviews like Vanta's 7,000 customers around the globe and go back to making your beer taste better, head on over to vanta.com acquired and just tell them that Ben and David sent you. And thanks to friend of the show, Christina, Vanta's CEO, all acquired listeners get $1,000 of free credit. Vanta.com slash acquired. Let's move on to uh, tech themes because uh, I think this is a good um, a good segue. Um, you know, as I was thinking about this, you know, what technology theme does this illustrate for you? I was sitting here and I was thinking, you know, this is our sixth episode. We should have saved this for episode seven. That would have been appropriate, but... Not as timely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, and the companies we've done so far for a show that's ostensibly about technology acquisitions, we've done Pixar, Instagram, Twitch, Bungie, Siri, and now Lucasfilm. You could argue that that's, that's five media companies and one technology company. And in, in mm. Siri being the technology company and everything else being, yes, a technology company, but also a media company. Um, and what's interesting for me, you know, th- this highlights a couple of things, which we've mentioned, uh, before on this, on this show. Um, but one, you know, um, as a, uh, I don't know if I need to pay any royalties on this phrase to Andreessen Horowitz, they probably trademarked it, but like software is eating the world. Um, two, uh, I actually like this phrasing of it better. Uh, this is from an old version of the Sequoia website, 
um, that they've since changed, but they used to have a section on there called, um, Oh, something like, uh, what we believe or like what we've learned over 40 years of venture capital or something like that. And, and, uh, one of the phrases was technology is the best amplifier of a business. Mm, very rings true of Paul Graham's recent technology is a lever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and if you think about technology as a lever, um, for it always has been for Lucasfilm. Um, you, oh my gosh, ILM. Like they, they, they were doing things that were Pixar. absolutely unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so both within, within Lucasfilm itself, but then also, you know, now as, as part of Disney, I mean, there's the whole Disney flywheel, but like, um, I think one of the coolest parts about, uh, episode seven or coolest, you know, sort of things that, um, business things that happen around it is, uh, Disney didn't do a big marketing blowout budget for it. Like who in the world didn't know that the force awakens was coming out this past December. What do you mean? They didn't, they didn't do a big marketing budget. Like I, there was more media for the force awakens than I've ever seen for a movie before. Yes. And it was free from technology, from social media. Uh, so they, there's, they there's had a tremendous amount of, of earned they, media there, but they a tremendous amount of earned media. And, and of course they had a, they had a marketing budget for, for the film. And I believe it was about a hundred million dollars, but it was on the low end for big tent pole movie releases. And actually mm-hmm. there are a few interviews with Bob Iger about this, um, or stories, just one in the wall street journal and I think one in fortune, um, where, uh, he, he really pushed the company to, be thoughtful about this and say, Hey, do we need to spend a huge amount of like traditional marketing on, on the force awakens? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I saw there's definitely some, some paid media where, or, or leveraging of internal assets where, I mean, at sports center the day before the movie yeah. came out, there was a 15 minute segment in the middle of sports center on the, the athletic training behind star Wars as a gigantic star. It was incredible. And I'm like, I, that's a I need to watch very that. nice Disney owned property. But I mean, the, the amount of like, um, memes that started from it of like people taking pictures of weird star Wars products and then posting them on Instagram and Twitter. And like that, there was that hashtag it was like only Disney or something like that. And I mean, that Reddit was just, they, 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 they knew where people were and they took full advantage of their ability to spread content virally. Yep. Um, second theme for me, uh, which I've already talked about is, is just the illustrating the power of the flywheel, probably more so here than, uh, than technology being an amplifier because at, at the core Lu- Lucasfilm, probably less so than, than Pixar and, and, and Twitch, um, is, is, is a technology business. I mean, it is, um, but uh, but the, but the power of the flywheel, both within Lucasfilm and within Disney, is incredible here. Yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking, um, you know, a lot of times we talk about themes. We talk about the technology themes, and other ones, the acquisition themes. This almost feels like a Facebook style acquisition, where Disney is acquiring a portfolio of, you know, third party brands that they really are learning from, but not not roping in in the wrong way. They're leveraging the Disney assets and the things that Disney does best, merchandising, and a lot of this media distribution. But they're not... Well, actually, here's the here's the best litmus test of all. There was no Disney... Uh, logo logo on at the that, beginning yeah. of Star Wars. I mean, yep. we didn't have 20th Century Fox. We didn't get the fanfare. And, like, God, did my heart sink. But I'll take it as a compromise for we didn't get the castle. And... Yep. 
it is it was it was uh, <laughs> of course i couldn't stop thinking about this during the movie of how good disney is at at just like letting this thing be what it is contributing its own assets where they make sense and learning from it in a very slow hands-off way and the the trend there is i mean that facebook is is the shining example so far of of um companies that know how to do really good kind of siloed acquisitions where you don't mess it up too much and like look at instagram from the day it was yeah. acquired to today you know you, you look at whatsapp from the day it was acquired to today that is the theme of the modern acquisition that goes well and i think it's a major theme of this show um you know look at the, all the episodes we've done uh you know they've all the successful deals have all been this style of acquisition pixar instagram twitch Bungie to an extent, as we heard Ed talk about, you know, they had their own office. Uh, they were knocked down the walls. Um, you know, they kept their culture. And, and then the, the acquisition we did that hasn't gone so well is the one that didn't take this approach in Siri. Yeah. And I think to distill it down to a more catchy thing than that long version I articulated before, I think it's amplify quickly integrate slowly yeah because there's no question that disney is integrating pixar lucasfilm oh, you, marvel you look at the rides yeah absolutely absolutely i just never want to see a world where luke skywalker faces off against oh, God, iron no. man right like we we better not see combining of universes i think we'll have to go back and revise <laughs> this episode yeah, if that happens from the cdn yeah <laughs> i never got batman versus superman <laughs> all right on that note any other themes you want to add ben um i don't think so great what's your grade i'm gonna give it an a and not an a plus um even though financially i think spectacular but i think the thing that we will see in the future is is Disney able to produce content like this without gigantic acquisitions from now on because there's only so many pieces of gigantic content houses that they can pick up um there was some stat I was looking at the, the top 25 movies from last year and and like 21 or 22 of them were rebooted or yeah. at the very I guess Star Wars isn't a reboot but unoriginal storylines unoriginal assets and you compare that with like 1985 and it was like three of the top 25 were sequels. And, you know, we're seeing the same thing happening um, in entertainment today that's happening elsewhere. And it's yep. you, you in movies, you know, they're going to spend one to two hundred million dollars producing what's going to be for sure a big hit. And all the experimentation has moved to television. So that's the whole kind of like startup scrappy. We're going to try one little thing, small investment. If it works, we'll double down. Like, what does that look like for feature film content in the future? And when Disney runs out of Star Wars movies to make and runs out of Star Wars like franchises to buy, mm -hmm. how do they continue? And, and what does that flywheel look like after 2025? Yep. I, I, uh, I was going to go down the same path. I'm going to give it an A minus for, but for, for this reason, um, thinking about Lucasfilm versus Pixar, um, Lucasfilm is a depreciating asset. 
it was a mispriced one that Disney correctly identified, and they're going to be able to get a ton of juice out of it by feeding it through their flywheel, and that'll go on and on and on for a long time. Um, but fundamentally, there's not a uh, – it is just content. There's not a moat there. You know, um, Maybe there is in, in ILM. Um, in their technology to the extent that that's differentiated. Um, but the moat is Disney. Um, and what's interesting is Pixar, I think, was different. Um, you know, their, their moat was people, which is slightly, arguably more ephemeral, more ephemeral than, um, an organizational or a process or a technology moat. But Pixar, uh, for Disney, I think has been an appreciating asset, uh, because the process that it brought the ability to continually generate new relevant, successful content. Um, maybe they can apply that to Lucasfilm. Um, but I don't think Lucasfilm itself is going to be that gift that keeps on giving. What are you talking about? Indiana Jones is going to be like, yeah, but that's just one way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just one more uh existing content franchise yeah like will lucasfilm the division of disney come up with an entirely new franchise and will they go spend 100 million dollars to make that movie that is the new lucasfilm franchise unlikely the question is will they be able to do it successfully within walt disney studios yeah and here's the question right i mean financially probably lucasfilm in the medium term is going to be a better acquisition than pixar um, and, uh, but in the long, long term, in terms of like extending Disney's competitive advantage and, uh, and motor around their, around you know, motor around their flywheel to mix two metaphors. Um, I feel like, I feel like Pixar is going to add longevity and Lucasfilm is like a, uh, it's like a, like a turbo boost. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Well, that's all I got. Me too. On that note, happy 2016, everybody. May the force be with you. Who got the truth? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Who got the truth now? This is a great time to tell you about one of our very favorite companies, Crusoe. So Crusoe, as listeners know by now, is a clean compute cloud provider specifically built for AI workloads. NVIDIA is one of their major partners, and literally Crusoe's data centers are nothing but racks and racks of A100s and H100s. And because Crusoe's cloud is purpose-built for AI and run on wasted, stranded, or clean energy, they can provide significantly better performance per dollar than traditional cloud providers. Yes, we talked about that on our ACQ2 episode with Crusoe CEO Chase Lockmiller. The other element that makes Crusoe special is the environmental angle. Crusoe, of course, locates their data centers at stranded energy sites. So think oil flares, wind farms that can't use all the energy they generate, etc., and uses that power that would otherwise be wasted to run your AI workloads instead. Yep. Obviously, it's a huge benefit for the environment and for customers on costs since Crusoe doesn't rely on the energy grid. Energy is the second largest cost of running AI after, of course, the price you pay NVIDIA for the chips. And these lower energy costs get passed on to customers. It's super cool that they can put their data centers out there in these remote locations where, quote unquote, energy happens. 
as opposed to the other hyperscalers such as AWS and Google and Azure who need to build their data centers close to major traffic hubs where the internet happens because they are doing everything in their clouds. Yep. If you, your company, or your portfolio companies would like to use the lower cost and more performant infrastructure for your AI workloads, go to crusocloud.com acquired. That's C-R-U-S-O-E cloud.com acquired. Or click the link in the show notes. 